0: This isn't the first global pandemic. What did we learn from the others that happened throughout history? Well, joining us is Dr. Dean Bell. He wrote the book Plague in the Early Modern World, a documentary history, and he's also the president and CEO of Chicago Spiritus Institute for Jewish Learning and Leadership. Good evening, Dr. Bell. How are you?
1: I'm terrific. How are you?
0: Uh, Thanks so much for being with us.
1: It's a pleasure, and I hope uh, you and all of your listeners are well and healthy in this challenging time.
0: Absolutely, and same to you. Can you tell us a little bit about the um, um, Chicago Spiritus Institute?
1: Sure. Spurtis is an institute of higher Jewish education. We offer uh, graduate degrees and certificates, adult Jewish learning in areas of Jewish studies, Jewish education, and Jewish professional studies. And we sit at kind of an intersection of theory and practice um, where we apply Jewish learning to solve contemporary issues and emerging issues in the future.
0: Oh, sounds, uh, sounds like an incredible institution. So you are the author of Plague in the Early Modern World, a Documentary History. Wow. And then... Uh, it,
1: it, As luck would have it. I know,
0: right? I mean, and it, when did it get published? It was like 20, was last just year. It was published
1: about a year ago, yeah. Yeah,
0: that's what I thought. So who would have thunk it? And now here you are. You're an, you're an expert on this. Tell us a little bit about the book.
1: Yeah, so the book came out of uh, actually a lot of research I was doing in a completely other area, looking at communities and Jewish-Christian relations, and as I was reading archival materials and chronicles, I noticed there was a lot of reference to weather changes, to earthquakes, to fires, floods, and particularly to to disease and and the bubonic plague um, most notably, which was sort of ravaging Europe and other parts of of the world from about the middle of the 14th uh, through the beginning of the 19th century. In the second pandemic,
0: and this book is interesting in the sense that you take a lot of uh, written works, like source materials, and you've inserted it into the book as well.
1: Yeah, it's a documentary history, and it's intended for people to have a kind of a framework for the social, cultural, medical, intellectual responses to plague. But through using original sources, many of them in translation, got a lot of help. I know you, your previous guest was the University of Chicago, and lots of colleagues down there who Mm -hmm. assisted with uh, some languages that I don't work on, uh, but tried to really give a global perspective of the bubonic plague and and how people responded to it, how it affected community and society.
0: Okay, so now, how long did it take you to work on this book?
1: Oh, this is about a four-year project, but you know, with with all good history, it evolves over many years, and then you focus a, a few specific years towards the end as you put the project together.
0: Wow, what an accomplishment. Okay, so now that you've worked on this What, I mean, the course of human history has been shaped by infectious diseases. What do we need to know? Like, what has history taught us?
1: Well, that's the interesting thing, right? As a good historian, I can't tell you that history repeats itself because it really doesn't. And we really, and we need to understand the context in which historical events are played out. On the other hand, human nature is pretty similar over periods of time. And there are a lot of things we can learn from how other people experienced and respond to these kinds of things. There's a few big existential issues that I like to think about, and one of them, I suppose, is related to your profession, and that is communication. Mm -hmm. And, And we see some interesting developments already in the 15th and 16th centuries about how people talk about and communicate about the, the plague uh, and how that compares to periods when it actually breaks out in a particular city or region. And sometimes the anxiety and the threat of, of a plague approaching can be equally challenging to social structures. One of the things that's you know, really important, I think, to see in, in these plague ep- epidemics mm-hmm. and pandemics is that They unearth a lot of uh, latent social, cultural kinds of tensions and issues that are already there, but we don't Uh. necessarily know about them in normal times. And and the other thing that I think is interesting and worth pointing out is that as challenging as the situation is today and, and certainly was in the past, We know, for example, that 50 to 60 percent mortality in some cities during the bubonic plague. Uh, Despite all of that, one of the things that I see clearly in the historical record is that daily life was impacted in many ways and yet continued in a kind of normal way in other ways. And it's easy to lose sight of that, but the historical record actually gives us some evidence of that. I'd say that plagues oftentimes bring out the best and the worst in us. And (laughs) so we have lots of great examples of altruistic behavior Mm -hmm. and people really doing great things and and helping their neighbors and others. And we see plenty of examples of kind of corrupt behavior and people taking advantage of situation. Some of the most uh, exciting chapters that you see in some of the archives are about The folks who are stealing money and doing all sorts of dastardly deeds, even in the quarantine hospitals. And so we see kind of this range of human responses to these kinds of situations. That's that's pretty helpful for us. One of the other things that I think that we've noticed in looking at the second pandemic of the bubonic plague is that um, the disease is recurring. In many parts of Europe and uh, Mm -hmm. the Ottoman Empire, even parts of Northern Africa, it might break out every several years. Uh On average, we see that it comes around every 10 to 12 years. And one of the things we learn from these experiences is how people came to terms with it, how they dealt with it on a more ongoing basis, and how they learned from their experiences in order to respond, you know, in more effective ways as time went on. It certainly changed cultural ways of thinking, but, you know, at the end of the day, people had to come to terms with it after a period of time.
0: Well, Dr. Bell, that's informative for us, especially when you think about the fact that they're saying that this could also, COVID-19, come back and, and, and resurge and come in waves,
1: Yeah. You know, in in many cases, the virulence of the disease sometimes decreases, or we develop immunity to it, or there are medical responses. But nonetheless, people continually dealt with these kinds of challenges. There's one other thing that, that occurs to me that I think is worth pointing out, and that is that in the midst of crisis, we oftentimes forge new partnerships. You know, I think we reach out to Mm-hmm. others in different kinds of ways and try to create meaningful relationships. And one of the things you see in history is that shortly after the crisis passes, we return to our old behavior.
0: Oh, no! <laughs> so this
1: is an opportunity for us to really think a little bit more proactively about how we behave and how we want to change as a result of these challenges.
0: Well, because the follow-up question to all of your historical knowledge is, you know, what? how do you think we'll be on the other side of this? But you say historically, most people human behavior didn't change overall afterwards?
1: Yeah, I mean, in some ways it doesn't. I'm actually fairly hopeful from the standpoint that if we look at these disease epidemics, pandemics over a period of time, that people do adjust their behavior. They do develop community structures and acquire new knowledge that's helpful as they they, they end up facing the next pandemic or the next crisis. Mm -hmm. You know, the challenge that we see even today that I think was relevant back then as well is that these kinds of events also come uh, with other tragedies and crises. And so adding to this, we have things like climate change. We have social and economic inequities. We have all sorts of other things that rise to the surface in new ways when we have these kinds of crises. And so in a certain way, it provides us an opportunity to address some of the fundamental underlying issues in our societies. And if we take that seriously, as I think we have sometime in the past, um, you know, I'm hopeful that, in fact, we'll come out of this uh, with some you know, very difficult times, but at the end of the day, perhaps uh, advanced as communities and organizations and society writ large,
0: so what you were talking about just now is one of those uh, one of those points that you were making earlier about the latent health and social issues that existed mm-hmm. before that maybe we didn't really think about before.
1: Yeah, that's true. And I mean, even the structures that we have, uh, you know, we tend to think about the pre-modern period before the birth of modern science as being a bit backwards. But the truth is, they understood quite a bit about medicine and mm-hmm. they introduced social uh, distancing. In fact, I found a 15th century text that talk about, talked about staying six feet really? away from somebody when you were talking to them. <laughs> so they, they really had a sense of this. They were the first to create quarantine hospitals and but travel where was restrictions. That? Uh, that was in Italy in the 1450s. Uh, so already they had sort of intuited much of the knowledge that we have today that was helpful in addressing these these kinds of issues. And, in fact, we know that much of the medicine and science in the 16th and 17th centuries was based on observation and case study and experimentation, uh, and oftentimes was related to things like diet and herbal remedies that seemed to have some, some impact. And there are things we can learn, you know, today from these kinds of experiences that uh, continue to affect us.
0: Well, we've been hearing so much in the news and comparisons to the Spanish flu. Is that something that you've also been thinking about?
1: I haven't specifically with the Spanish flu. I, I, as an early modernist, I tend to end my historical interest in the 18th century. Okay. Um, so for me, that's practically current events, okay, as far as it. I can tell. But, <laughs> okay. but there are similar experiences in other pandemics, too. Already in the second century in the Roman Empire, we know that there was a major pandemic that took uh, probably 10% of the total population of the Roman Empire. Uh, And so we get to see different societies react in different kinds of ways, and how confluence of different economic, political, social kinds of situations come together. One of the things that I think is a challenge is that these kinds of events oftentimes allow us to look for outsiders and marginalized people and create outcasts. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we have plenty of examples of that during the second pandemic of the bubonic plague where Jews and foreigners and poor people were kind of uh, you know, thrown out on the margins of society. Uh, but, but again, I, I take a certain solace in that over a period of time, there seemed to be some improvements in those kinds of social relations, and you know, hopefully we'll see the same kinds of things today.
0: Um, in terms of uh, communication, how do you think that we're faring compared to the, the pandemics that you covered in your book?
1: Well, I hate to say it, but I think in some ways, communication hasn't really improved all that much despite the technology. <laughs> Dr. Bell! Because, <laughs> well, with some exceptions, some notable exceptions. Um, but, I, you know, I have to say part of what communication is about is um, creating a particular narrative mm-hmm. and sharing that with a group of people. And so oftentimes these communications become kind of polemics, or they become a way of representing a, a certain observation or a certain truth or a certain position. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're false or they're contrived, but they, they emphasize certain aspects uh, of a situation. And you certainly see that in this period. I'll just give you one example. We know, for example, persecution of Jews in the 14th century, during the Black Death, uh, the, you know, the mm-hmm. plague, the, pe- the bubonic plague, uh, in many cases the persecution happened long before the outbreak of the disease in particular places and was used as a mechanism or an excuse for persecution of a marginal population. So it had nothing to do with the de- disease specifically, and, mm-hmm. and we've traced this across German communities, uh, particularly in the South throughout the 14th century.
0: Wow. So With, you know, having written this book, what are you, what's, is your message, uh, I think, one of of hope that, you know, this, this too shall pass? What, what is, uh, what would you like our, our takeaway or your final word to be?
1: Yeah, it for sure is a message of hope. I mean, I think there are many things we can learn from past experiences, uh, do things better and be appreciative of what the challenges were in historical context and today as well. I have a colleague, as it turns out, uh, we were graduate students together at Berkeley, and we both published books on plague in the same year and didn't realize it. And she ends her book, which is really about the plague in late sixteenth, early seventeenth century Spain. I work on Germany. And she has a she has a wonderful part at the end there where she says, In truth, you know, the normal day to day things didn't change that much and the social structures and the political and communal structures that were in place survive through this period. And so if we, if we take a long view, which is really what we have to do at the end of the day, uh, I think we will come out of this. Um, we're going to have learned quite a bit. Uh, you know, in some ways, it will have created new challenges. But I do think there's opportunities in, in every crisis for us to advance and think a bit differently, and, and hopefully we'll take those lessons to heart.
0: Well, thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Dean Bell. He's the author of Plague in the Early Modern World, a documentary history, a fascinating book. And he's also president and CEO of Chicago's Spurtus Institute for Jewish Learning and Leadership. Thanks so much, Dr. Bell. Stay well. Thanks. Have a
1: good evening and stay healthy.
0: Absolutely. You do the same. Thanks so much.